while they're still here on the stage a little bit. I know we talked about Tommy Walker and him being here, and he's a special guy, and we love the idea that he's coming, and we wanted him to come, but I feel pretty blessed to have that worship team that just helped lead us into worship. Amen. Week after week after week, they show up, and they practice, and they do crazy things for retreats, and uh, we did some crazy filming here recently, and uh, unfortunately, if you're not in worship ministry, you won't get to see that. So there's a plug for joining worship ministry if you want to see all our craziness. But um, So I had that I wanted to say, and then I, I had this. Uh, how many of you are aware that our brother Pete Knight um, is the guy that uh, heads up all of our men's ministry things? How many of you are aware of that? All right. Now, now, now I just said it, so all of you are aware of that now, right? So everybody should raise their hand at this point. But he gave me a card and um, said, hey, can, can you just mention this, Pastor, before you get started? I'm like, oh, yeah, I can mention this. So it says here, the Valley men's softball team won the softball championship yesterday, 13 to 7. Yeah, yeah, praise God for that, huh? 13 to 7 over the Landmark Baptist Church. And... Um, I, I, I said in the first service that they are now a landmark in our mind because we beat them and we won the championship. So uh, there you go. So th congratulations, men. Um, and praise God for that. Glad to hear that. Next year, if we don't win, we'll just not say anything about them. But um, <laughs> as of right now, that's, it's good to be a champion. Amen? Amen. Amen. Mm. So the clock is running up on the wall, and... Um, uh, that means I need to hurry. So let's just do this. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for the word of God. We pray that as the word is uh, expanded here, as we talk about the word, that your word will achieve its purpose. And, uh, and I pray that you will allow the speaker to stay out of the way and let the Holy Spirit move in the lives of these people. And um, that the word of God will penetrate their hearts and uh, cause them to want to change. In Jesus' name. Amen. So we are in a new series. We just finished up our servant series, and um, I want to thank all of you who responded by signing up to serve. Uh, we had several people who uh, signed up to do service for the Valley Bible Church, and for the, I would like to say that differently. I said that wrong. I'm sorry. Excuse me. Let me start over with that. I would like to say thank you for signing up to serve the Lord, and then serve Valley Bible Church. Amen. So thank you for doing that, but we're starting a discipleship series with the thought in mind, uh, Growing Together is the name of the series. Uh, my sermon is the call to discipleship this morning. We'll get there in a second. But um, the, the idea behind that and what you're going to hear from each one of us along the way of, uh, as we do a four-week series on this is you're going to hear us ask you to join small groups. Um, I hate to put percentages on things, but sometimes the percentages just don't lie. And so I would say it this way. Over 50% of discipleship that happens here at Valley Bible Church happens right here in this pulpit. Okay? So when you come here, you should have a notepad with you so you can take notes and do things like that. So you'll have an idea. I always feel like if you take notes, you walk away with more in your heart than you did just by listening. Okay? So if you could bring a notepad with you when we preach, it'd be great. If you don't, we're not going to be mad at you, but I think it's just another way for you to hold on to the resources that we are studying and trying to bring and put into your minds. 
So that's one thing. But the other thing is small groups. We are a church. We want to be a church of small groups. We want our small groups to be that. Okay? And so we feel like it's super important. And guess what? At the end of this four-week series or somewhere in the middle of this four-week series, we'll start doing sign-ups for small groups. And there's a lot of groups. A lot of those are available. And um, we have people that are willing to study hard and disciple you and um, and then we can work through that together, okay? So we, that's what we're doing. That's what I'm going to do uh, this morning by starting off with this introduction. Here we go. Is it possible... Get your thinking caps on. Is it possible to be a member of Valley Bible Church, uh, a regular faithful attender of church, faithful in prayer, faithful in reading your Bible, uh, faithful in singing praise songs. You might even have KFAX or KLOVE on your dial of your radio when you get in it, if anybody even listens to the radio anymore. Your morals might be what our society would call Christian morals, even. You think you could be doing all of that stuff and, and there's a lot more. You, you all know the little things you do in the church. You all know what you do and how you approach God and the church and, and your Christian walk and are you following him or not. You know how you do that. But is it actually possible to do all of those things and still not be a follower of Jesus? Is it possible that you could do that well I, I think that according to Matthew 7 verses 22 through 23 Jesus answers that for us um, and more or, a real daunting passage if you would I'll, I'll, I'll start with verse 21 it says not everyone who says to me Lord Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Now listen to this. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. Now I, I just wanted to take a look at that really quick. And, and say that it's not a few. It's not just a, a random small number of people that he's going to say that to. Because he uses the term many. Many will come to me on that day. And Lord, Lord, we d did we not prophesy in your name and in your name and in your name? We see it three times. We did all these things in your name. And what's their reward? Depart from me, I never knew you. Well, that's scary. So one of the things we want to answer is, how do we know you know him? How, how do you know that you know him? How, how is it evidenced in your life that you know him? And so in our passage, we're going to see through a lot of different aspects 
a way that we can know, the way I can watch you and know if you really know him or not. If you don't believe in Jesus Christ, if you don't know him, one thing I'm sure of, you will not follow him. You will not follow him. And if you claim you know him and believe in him and you're not following him, something's out of whack. Something isn't lining up. And it's this thing that I think we have to be very careful of in the church today. We have to be very careful that we don't take the grace of God, this free gift that he bestows on you, that's free for you to accept that gift. The graciousness of God, it's free for you. But don't make grace cheap. We cheapen grace when we say, well, I'm under the umbrella of God's grace and I've accepted the Lord and I've done all these things and yet I'm not following him. Because grace is not cheap. God's grace cost him dearly. You're going to help me preach this this morning? There's not as many people in the building, so you need to get a little louder, okay? They're all out there on the freeway. God's grace is not cheap, it came at a cost. It cost Jesus Christ setting aside his deity, coming to earth in flesh, dying on a cross on your behalf. It cost the father the separation from his son. It was was costly. Grace is costly. I'm afraid the church today acts like grace. We own it. Like it's our commodity. It's not your commodity. You received grace when you accepted Christ, but God is the one that provides grace. Just get that picture. Now, we haven't even started preaching yet. I mean, just beginning. So now let's look at our passage. Based on that, I want you to, I want you to be able to, we're going to look through this passage, and hopefully... What's going to happen is you're going to see what it is to know him. And you're going to be able to say, these are the evidences that I do know him. And what did we say? What did I just say? You won't follow him if you don't believe in him. You just won't do it. Would anybody here just randomly, somebody says, follow me, would you follow them? No. I would hope you wouldn't. You might end up somewhere you don't want to be. But listen, if you're in a circumstance where someone broke into your house and they're in your house and the police officer gets to you and says, hey, follow me, I'm going to get you out of here. Follow me. Guess what I'm doing? I'm stepping right with him. Or your house is on fire and the fire department shows up and you're in an upstairs room and you can't get out and all of a sudden the fireman bursts through that window and says, follow me, follow me. Guess what? We're identifying who the me is. He's a fireman. He's trained. He's got the uniform on. He knows what he's doing. I'm going to follow him. And when you look at the police officer, you're going, man, get me out of this house, and you guys go back in there and take care of business. I'm going to follow him based on I know who he is. 
And so the two words that we're going to concentrate on here, and once I read the passage to you, which two words we're going to do that with. Let's read the passage together. Now, as Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, well, wait a minute, let me go to 17. Let's go up to uh, chapter 4, verse 17. Let's read that first. So you get a little, a little bit more of a context that way. From, from that time on, Jesus began to preach and say this. That's what he began to preach. So he hadn't been preaching before that, but from that time on, so from the time that he went to Capernaum, after he had uh, gone on the temptations, the different temptations he'd gone through earlier in the chapter of four there, when he gets to here, he's now beginning his ministry. So here's what he says. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, change your ways. Not just admit you're wrong, but change. Okay? So that's how it starts. Then we get to 18. It says, Now, as Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother. And they were casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And I'm thankful that he identified them as fishermen with them casting a net into the sea. Okay. And then he said this, and he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me, and I'll do something with you. You'll become something. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. So a couple things. We're going to talk about the follow me, what that means, what that looks like. And we're going to talk about the cost of following. And we're going to talk about what God will do with you when you, when you follow him. Those are some things we're going to talk about. But I want to start with the follow me. The follow me. And I'm going to do it a little bit backwards, I think, because... I, that's kind of how I think is backwards and so that works really well for me to think of it that way but I want to talk about the me I want to talk about the me follow me who's the me who's the me he's Jesus okay so he's just is Jesus follow me and and I got to tell you I don't know if I'd follow at that point okay, well, who are you but the thing that we don't see in this story we see it over in John chapter one it's a parallel story but there's a little bit more to it not parallel to this but it's a parallel thought we see john the baptist is baptizing people and actually peter and andrew were his followers they were disciples of john the baptist so when christ came into town and john the baptist remember that famous thing behold the messiah so all his followers that were there while he's baptizing, they see Jesus. And he goes, behold the Messiah. So this wasn't their first time to ever see Jesus. He had already been identified as the Messiah. So when he comes along and says, follow me, now it's still an incredible thing that they dropped everything and followed him, but they, were, they knew who they were following at that point. Or they knew something about him. They didn't just, all right, well, we're randomly just going to follow people when they tell us to. 
Now, I know Christ has authority, and he can do that. He can let them know who he is even without all of that, and they would have followed him possibly anyway, but you want to make sure you know that, that you understand that, all right? But I wanted to do the, the me part. I want to talk about that first because I think that's super important that you know who the me is. And it's very interesting. You say, well, it was Jesus. Okay, so what's the picture of Jesus at that point? Who was he? What was he? You know, what, what names did he have? How did they know him? as a, How did all that work? Well, we see in the first four chapters of, of Matthew, the first four chapters, there's about 19 or 20, I always call them pictures of who he is. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take you through those real quick. And we have to do it really quick. So, look at this. Look at Matthew 1, verse 1. Let's just look at it really quick. And, and this is what it says. The record of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. He's four things in that passage there's four snapshots of who he is he is jesus okay he is and that would be the one who will save us from our sins that's who jesus was that's the meaning of his name so jesus is the savior and then you see jesus is your bible might say jesus christ jesus christ christ and jesus together jesus christ together meant he was the messiah so he is Jesus Christ, which means he's the promised one. He's the promised one from all the Old Testament scriptures. He's on the scene now. He's the son of David. He was promised to come out of the line of David and be a king. And here he is. He's the son of David. He's the son of Abraham. He goes, Matthew goes all the way back to Genesis. This is who he is. He's identified way back there that he's coming. And he comes through that line of Abraham. So he's a son of Abraham. He's the center of all history. All history, he's the center of it. Not Valley Bible Church, not the United States. No, 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 we're not the center of history. Christ is. Christ is. And you look, he's got a lineage there from about verse 2 all the way to 17, I think it's about 15 verses of a lineage of where he came from. All these different people, and then he beget and beget and all these things. And all that is, is a look, you're looking at him going, wait, that's where he was predicted to come from. So you get up to the time where he comes on the scene, and historically, everything in the past spoke about him. You know, the whole Bible's about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's about God, yeah, it's about us, but it's really pointing to Jesus all the time. He's the Redeemer. Okay, so you look at that and you go, so from all the way back there to this point, it's all about Jesus. The history is centered around him. And guess what? Ever since then, we, now we look back on that as our historical view. None of you saw Jesus recently, did you? No, but everything we know about him has historically happened back here. Okay? So he's the center of history. He is, if we look in the latter half of chapter one, you see that he's fully human, 
and he's fully divine. He comes on, he, incarnation happens, he takes on flesh, but he still has a divinity. He's still a divine being. So Jesus is the Savior. Jesus is the Messiah. He's the son of David. He's the son of Abraham. He's the center of all history. He's fully human, and he's fully divine. Wow, that's all just in chapter 1. And you know I'm not done. I said there was four chapters. Chapter 2, we see Jesus is sovereign over the wise. He's a sovereign over the wise. And we see that as the magi from the east come looking for the king, and they bow at, his, at the manger scene. They bow down to him. He's, Jesus is the shepherd of the weak. Thank God he's the shepherd of the weak. Matthew quotes Micah chapter 5 to show how Jesus will rule God's people as a good shepherd. Jesus inaugurates a new exodus. The imagery that is clear is God brings his son into Egypt and then back out of Egypt as a picture of the rescue and redemption from sin that, that he would bring. Jesus ends the mournful exile it's all in chapter 2. God and the coming Jesus promises hope to the weeping women of Bethlehem who've lost their baby boys. Jesus has come to end the mournful exile. Jesus loves his fiercest enemies. If you study it, by the time you get to the end of chapter 2, you realize that Jesus has come to save people who seek to kill him. You know, he was seeking you and I while we yet hated him, while we were enemies of him. He came seeking you. And look, I love this statement. I wrote it down. Jesus loves sinners like you and me. He didn't just love them while he's walking on the earth. He loves them still. All of that in chapter 2. In chapter 3, we pick up four more. Jesus is the Redeemer King. John the Baptist declares the King is coming, and he's going to redeem. He is going to make new all who repent and believe in him. You're going to become a new creation when you say, I believe that Jesus is who he said he was. And I'm putting my faith in that and that alone. When you do that, he's the Redeemer King. He promised to redeem you. Some of you are excited. Jesus, I'm, I'm excited. That pretty much happens to me a lot, though. Jesus is the righteous judge. Again, John the Baptist tells us about the, he's the one with the winnowing fork, separating the wheat from the chaff. The grain from the chaff. And listen, all who do not believe in him will be burned with an unquenchable fire. It's there. If you read through it, you'll see these definitions of who he is. Jesus is filled with God the Spirit. As it said, the Spirit of God rested on him. It was evident. Jesus is loved by God the Father. One of my favorite passages. As a voice booms out of the heavens saying, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Jesus is the new Adam in chapter 4, meaning that 
where the first Adam fell to all the temptations of the devil, or to the temptation of the devil, Jesus stood. He did what no one else in history has ever done or will ever do. He resisted temptation fully. He did not give in one time. There was never even a hesitation to be tempted. Thank God he didn't fall to the temptation. Wow. Not done. This is Jesus is the light of the world. What Isaiah prophesied hundreds of years before had come true. The people dwelling in darkness have seen the great light. He's the great light. Jesus is the hope for all nations. All nations, not just Israel. He's the hope for all nations. Oh, look around. There's all kinds of nations represented here. He came for all of us. He's our hope. So does that help you understand who it is that we're asking these fishermen to follow me? When he said, follow me, do you think they had any concept of who he really was? He's asking you today to follow me. Follow me, he's saying. And if you don't know him, you need to place faith in him. You need to believe that he was born of a virgin. He was truly God. He came to the earth. He took on flesh through the birth of that virgin. And that is one of the most incredible things there is, that God would take on flesh. He came. He took on flesh. He lived a perfect life, a perfect life, fulfilling the law, conquering the law, basically. He came and he did that. Then he was run through some kind of a kangaroo court and, and crucified on your behalf, beaten, thorns on the head, crucified on a cross. A cross was a shameful way to die. He died there for your sins and for my sins. Oh, yeah. And then they buried him. They put him in a tomb. And three days later, that stone rolled away and out he came. And he walked around on this earth as a, in a resurrected form until he ascended before 500 witnesses. Amen? Now, if you want to know what you got to believe to be a follower of Jesus Christ, there you go. That's what you need to believe. You need to put faith in the fact that Christ did that. That and that alone, there's nothing else you can do but put faith in him. Everything else is you boasting, and it's heresy when you start to boast about the work of someone else. Heresy. And I got to say something. He is more than a puny savior begging for the people of the 21st century, all us crazy people with all our electronic devices and stuff, all the sin right in your own hand that you carry. He is more than a puny savior begging for the people of the 21st century to accept him into their hearts. He's more than that. He's way more than that. 
And I don't even like the term anymore, accept him. Like he needs you to accept him. I like he came along and he convicted me of my sin and he showed me who he was through the Holy Spirit and he allowed me through his own gift of faith to accept him and put faith in him. Look how much I did. Nothing. He did it all. He's done it all. That's who is saying, follow me. Not the pastor. Not even Matthew. Matthew just wrote down what Jesus said. Follow me. And oh, when you know who you're following, it makes a difference. And if you know him the way you say you know him, why aren't you following him? Yeah, I know this is not a real feel-good, fuzzy sermon. Won't get a lot of compliments at the end. That's okay. I'm okay with that. My job is to disciple you. If you're super talented, listen to this. If you are a super talented individual, maybe you play the piano or, or man, heaven help us that you could play the drums. Because I got worship team members that are playing drums that we could be using somewhere else. We need a drummer in this church. If none of you or that person start praying, God will send that person because we really could use that. But if you're super talented and you think God is going to use you because of that talent, I got a story for you. Uh-uh. That's not how it works. It's not based on your talent. I think it's based on your availability a lot of times. But I, it's, get that out of your mind. I'm super talented. God would want me to do this because I'm super talented. Well, I'm a, I, can, I can orate really well. You want me to preach, right? Like, well, not yet we got to know who you are first. But you, you get into that mindset. And, and then there's the other mindset. So one that being super talented doesn't automatically mean you're going to be the best servant or the best follower. But also being untalented doesn't give you an excuse not to follow. Because if you're untalented and you think God can't use you, get that out of your head. I was talking with somebody this week they were talking about an area of service. I had come to them and I had asked them if they could serve in a certain area. And they kept putting me off. You know, and I, I don't want to put pressure on people. I, I think that if God's going to use you, he's going to use you. And I don't need to pressure you into that. I'll put an arm around you and say, I think God could use you in this capacity and in this area. But I will not press them into it. All right. So, but, but they, they came and saw me and they were talking to me. And they said, you know what, I, I'm just, the only thing is I, I'm feeling my inadequacy. I don't feel adequate necessarily. Okay, so everybody raise your hand on this one. How many of you have ever felt inadequate serving the Lord? I'm going to tell you right now, that's the time he's about ready to really use you. It's when you acknowledge the inadequacy of you and let his strength take over. I happened to tell that person, I said, well, you should try following a senior founding pastor who's preached for 48 years. Okay. Um, so get that stuff out of your head. It's not about us. It's all about Jesus. If you're willing to follow Jesus, he can do something supernatural through you. You know what? 
I'm going to tell a story about my wife, and you can tell me I shouldn't talk about my wife if you want to, but I'm going to anyway. My wife has these abilities, and she comes around here at the church, and she helps out do stuff, and all these different ladies that she's helping work and do things with, they all say, man, she's incredible at doing this stuff, and she is. It's crazy, but don't ask me to do any of that stuff. But you know what she does? She makes herself available. She makes herself available to do those things. That's talking about serving now, but it's also called when you're serving God, you're following him. That's evidenced. Or at least I hope you are. If you're serving him because you just think that's the right thing to do, you know, that's what the church says I need to do, so I'm going to serve. I'm like, ooh, let's reevaluate that. Let's reevaluate that. You're now cheapening the grace, I think. Uh, no. You want to do what you do because it's what God has put in you to do. Understand that? Not because I come along and try to twist your arm behind your back and get you to do something. Because you know what will happen if you do it then? You're, you're going you're to fail at it or you're going to stop doing it anyway. It has to be God that convinces your heart to do that. But he also is the one that convinces your heart to follow him. And so the, the follow me part. But listen, these men, when, how long did it take them to decide to follow in the narrative. Do you guys remember? We just read it. He said immediately, didn't he? In both cases. They immediately stopped what they were doing and followed him. It was an immediate thing. It's like, not like well, you know, I have to go to seminary first and I got to do this and I got to do that and I got to learn how, I got to learn everything there is about Jesus before I can follow him. I don't think that's the case. I think it comes down to it's an immediate. It's immediate. How many of you, when you first got saved, wanted to tell everybody about getting saved? I mean, you might have been nervous, but you were like, I don't care. God's changed me. I'm going to tell you about it. Christ changed my life. I'm going to tell you about him. And then you get into church and no one disciples you, and pretty soon you're not saying anything to anybody. Well, I don't want to tell them I know Jesus because then they'll expect me to live a certain way right like some of you don't share jesus to other people because you may not be living like you know him so but there's a cost involved there's a cost involved in following jesus how many of you found that to be true absolutely there's a cost it's going to take your time it's going to take energy from you but guess who energizes you to do it the lord Listen to this. this is just what I wrote down. I wrote down like seven or eight things, the final one being the most important in my mind. What did they give up? What did they have to give up? Both sets of, of brothers had to give things up. The fishermen were leaving behind comfort. They were leaving behind their careers. They, had, they owned a fishing boat and were fishing and had successful businesses, both of them. I think Zebedee and his sons had a more, a, a probably a more thriving business because they had other people working for them. We see that in parallel passages. Like it says they left not only their father, but other men that were working for them. Well, you know, Peter and Andrew didn't have a bunch of people working for them. So James and John had a little bit wealthier fishing boat, probably. So they gave up their career. They gave up possessions. And, and I want to ask you something. Is giving up possessions really that big a deal? It is when you do it for the Lord. I mean, there's that commitment. But how many possessions are you taking with you when you die? Zero. 
The only thing that you can do in this life that you take with you to heaven is disciple people. I'm serious. When you talk to somebody, when you get up and do the things that you do, when you teach your class, when you do these different things, those are the things that will be waiting for you in heaven. Not your new car that you just bought that you paid way too much money for and now you want to know, you know why you can't give more to the church because you're paying $900 a month for a car that you should have paid about $300 a month for. I got people saying yeah to that. That's incredible. They gave their possessions. They gave up positions. They were business owners. They gave that up to follow Jesus. They, they gave up families. We see that clearly in, in James and John. They left their dad. They, they put it aside. They left him. And, I, and the others, I'm sure, had families too. They gave up friends. You think that, that they only had their brothers? No, they had relationships. And they gave all that up to follow Christ. They, they gave up the safety. They, there was no threat on their lives until they started following Jesus. But lastly, the last thing I put down, they gave up themselves. They gave themselves away. Listen to what he says in Luke 9, 23. And Jesus said to all, if anyone would come after me, if anyone would follow me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Well, that language doesn't sound like American language. Deny yourself? Why would I do that? Are you kidding me? I can't deny myself. I want more for myself, not less. No, no. If anyone would come after me, you have to first deny yourself. And then it says take up your cross daily and follow me. That's an interesting statement. I think it is intended to say because you're going to need to crucify yourself on a daily basis. To truly follow me, you have to forget about yourself and you have to crucify it. Now, I'm not, I'm not projecting that you go commit suicide or any of that. I'm saying this is in a spiritual way. You've got to be able to say, I'm putting God first in my life and that means I have to die to myself. He said, when you die to yourself, you'll go alive to him. And so, and then I love this passage here Remember, Jesus is the one calling you. Remember those lists that we went through. Galatians 2.20. How many of you know that passage? All right. I'm going to read it anyway. I have been crucified with Christ. This is Paul talking, but Larry Howard, because I know who Christ is, I can say that. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you can quote this verse, and you can just say, Larry Howard has been crucified with Christ. And it is no longer I who live. I'm denying myself. I'm giving myself away to the Savior. I no longer live for me. But Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. Look at this last part. Who loved me and gave himself up for me the very thing that he's asking me to do he's already done 
He already gave himself up for you. Now he's saying, follow me. Do the things I do when you follow me. He gave himself up for you. Can you give yourself up for others? For him. Lastly, and really not lastly, but I'm trying to get you out of here. Here's a passage that I just, it's, it's a fun passage. The kingdom of heaven, this is Matthew 13, 44. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and then hid again. And from joy over it, he goes and he sells everything he has. He gets rid of everything. He sells it all. He says that he has and he buys that field. He goes all in on that field. So he's on that field, he's kicking dirt around, and he sees a streak of gold running through that property that's worth way more than anything he has. And he goes, wait a minute, I'm going to cover that back up. It's kind of a, not exactly the kindest thing to do, but he covers it back up. And he goes and he sells everything he has. He gives up all his possessions. And, and you know, his friends are probably going, wait a minute, what, dude, what are you doing? You didn't do all that to buy that little piece of land over there? He's like, yeah, I kind of got a hunch. No, he ain't got a hunch. He's got a sure thing. All right? So he sells everything he has to buy the field. The man is willing to give everything to buy that field because he knows there's a great treasure in it. Jesus is someone who is worth losing everything for because he's the best treasure you'll ever find. That was pretty good over here. That side felt like it was asleep. Jesus is someone who is worth losing everything for and oh, so much more. So now then, the last thing I'll say and then I'm gonna get you out of here. It's not something you do later. You don't follow him later. You follow him now. You make a decision this morning, I'm following after Christ. I believe he died for me. He's done everything for me. He's already given himself up. I want to follow him. Now, the goal is that you become a disciple. Discipleship is the act of discipling. That's all it is. When we talk about discipleship, it means I want to get other people to follow Jesus. If they can't follow him, they don't know what to do, just watch me for a while and we'll follow him together. Now, what you need in your life and I don't like to tell you a lot of things you need in your life, but you need this in your life. You need that group above you so that you can be discipled. And you need a group below you that you can disciple. Not below you in any fashion. They're just younger than you. You've further along than them. Tony Arns, I love this statement he made at the men's retreatment, at, at, at the men's retreat or conference that we had. He says, when is it time for you to disciple? When is it for time for you to follow him? when you know a little bit more than somebody else. You can start teaching as soon as you know more than them, you start teaching them what you know. Don't wait. Why are you waiting to serve the Lord? Why are you waiting to follow him? Because you know why? Because we've cheapened it. We said, your grace saved me, but it can't make me follow you. Really? Do you believe in the same Lord I do? Do you believe in the same Savior I do? Do you hear the things that he is? And that's not even, listen, that was 19 or 20 things. He's a lot more than that. 
He's way more than that. Can you follow him? If you're not following him, why? And I think it comes down to that. Do you really know him? Do you really know him? If you really know him, if you just found out about him, if you're just at the beginning of your Christian walk, it's why we have a class downstairs that was going on earlier called Follow Me. We want to show you immediately how to follow him. We don't want you to get saved and sit here for five years trying to figure out what to do. No, no, we're going to disciple you immediately. All right. And they immediately followed him. They didn't wait. They just followed him. And uh, the bottom line in my mind is that Jesus is calling disciples who will develop disciples. Follow him that you might have others follow you and then someone will follow them and then you see how that just becomes a universal thing after a while. Everybody's following some form of who Jesus is. Biblically, to be a disciple of Jesus is to trust and obey his leadership, to receive and enjoy his love, and to give your life making disciples of all nations. Oh God, you are my God. I shall seek you earnestly. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you. In a dry and weary land where there is no water, thus I have seen you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory because your loving kindness is better than life. My lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul is satisfied as with marrow and fatness and my mouth offers praises with joyful lips. When I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches for you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. There is nothing like following him. Nothing like it. Everyone bow your heads. And uh, close your eyes for a moment. As you do, answer these questions quietly in your head. Don't answer these out loud. Am I a follower of Jesus? Am I fully following him? Am I faithfully following him? Am I helping others follow Jesus? And am I willing to take the steps to really follow Jesus? Church, could you imagine what would happen in our church, in our community, and in our world if we all committed to following Jesus faithfully and fully? Can you imagine if we all developed just one disciple this year? Just one. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the word of God. And um, man, I am so convicted by this sermon myself. I thank you for your word that it convicts and that it speaks to us and it has a purpose and um, oh I want to be a better follower I want to give up all those areas of my life that I'm not following and there are some 
And so I want to put you at that premium spot where you deserve to be and follow after you. And Lord, if there's someone in this room that feels that same way, I pray that they wouldn't walk away and think, well, that was a good sermon. It, it was convicting, but I'm just going to go home and eat lunch and, and watch a ball game. No, Lord, I, I, I pray that they will have a, an alone time with you and answer those questions that we just asked and answer them with a purpose in mind to change those areas that they're not succeeding in. And we won't do it in our own strength, Lord. We already know that. It takes your strength, it takes the Holy Spirit to allow us to do that. I pray you do that for Valley Bible Church and for each individual here and your church across this globe. Oh, we need to stand up and follow after our Savior. In Jesus' name and because of Jesus and in his name we pray. Amen.